Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. Grab your lesson plans this morning, and uh, we're going to go ahead and begin. And notice the title of the lesson, His Presence, His Presence both in heaven and in the heavenly places and in our lives, we need to know and to walk on the path of life. And I want to go back and begin once again in Psalms and chapter 16 and verse 11. You know, each year, um, actually yes, about six months before the, the year starts, I begin thinking about the theme for the coming year. So I've been thinking about what might be a good theme for next year already as I continue to work on uh, laying out this year's theme, which is the third law of momentum, the, the power of his presence. And so in Psalms chapter 16 and uh, verse 11, a powerful statement there is made about Jesus Christ, but just as importantly, if we understand the scriptures, it's a passage of scripture talking about us. And so if we understand that, then we are empowered by the knowledge of who we are and where we are. So take a look. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And so we need to recognize and understand that contextually, this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven. But we also know from the scriptures in our past lessons that we have been crucified with Christ. We are raised up with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. And because of that, this passage of scripture is ours as well. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that is Christ's is ours because he has given us the fullness of his spirit and we are present with God in Christ right now. In fact, scripture after scripture teaches that principle in the New Testament. And so this actually is applying to us this morning. So I'm always asking questions when I read the scripture. And one of the questions I've asked is, what is the path of life? What does it look like when someone's walking on the path of life? And the last question is, why is it important to walk on the path of life? I think you probably already know why it's important to walk on the path of life, because if you're not walking on the path of life, you're obviously on the wrong path, the path of death. And so this morning, I want to take a look at those three questions. So look at your lesson plan. It says, what is the path of life? We're going to look at that. Point two, what does the path of life actually look like if you're walking on it? It looks a lot different than if you're walking on the path that leads to destruction. And then the, the final point on the back here is why is it important to walk on his path, the path of life? And so we're going to tackle that this morning. And, and notice the scriptures I have there. There's two sets of scriptures on each point. One scripture is going to communicate a main point, And the other is scripture for you to go back and look that there are other passages that teach the same thing. And so that you can get a, wholer under, a more fuller understanding of what we're talking about this morning. So point number one, what is the path of life? Actually, the path of life is made up of the ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord. Now think about that for just a minute. When we talk about a path in the woods, we can actually describe a path to somebody by different parts of that path. You might start by saying, if you're going to walk into Lancelot Lake, that the first part is so easy and flat, it's like a cakewalk. And then you got some switchbacks, and it's not a cakewalk anymore, it's a little bit more challenging. So there are different parts or path or ways on the path of life. And that's what the scriptures teach this morning. 
So let's take a look at that first verse, Psalms 25 and verse 4. Notice how the writer of this psalm communicates here. In chapter 25 and verse 4, he says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Now, we've looked at that before already, but notice it's plural. There are ways and there are paths of the Lord. But the path of life is literally the path of God. We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? And it said that, that he ran the race and he finished the course, as the Apostle Paul did as well. So we're called to run the race. We're called to finish the course. We're supposed to follow that path that Jesus Christ actually has created for us already. Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 10, powerful passage of scripture. If you were to study that on your own, and I encourage you to do that, that talks about the path of life. That talks about the path of life is every footstep, every word, every deed that Jesus Christ lived. We are to follow in that path. That's the path of life. And so the ways of the Lord, the paths of the Lord must be desired first and then understood. And that's what the next point is going to be about. But notice, I invite you to read Proverbs chapter 4. That's a very powerful passage about walking in the ways of the Lord and the blessings that come from that. Look at Psalms chapter 145 and verse 17. 145 and verse 17. Uh, many of you know that this is one of my favorite passages. It actually communicates what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be doing. This is a prophetic utterance about the church. But just verse 17. Notice in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Notice all of his ways are righteous. That word righteous means just or good. All of his ways are good. All of his ways are kind. And when you look up that word kind in the Hebrew language, it also means good and favorable. In other words, when you do something for someone that's good, it's what they needed. You're actually seeing the need in a person's life and then actually stepping up and fulfilling it. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. We're supposed to be looking for needs in people's lives, whether they're brothers and sisters in Christ or whether they're people outside of Christ. And we're supposed to be observant and responsive and stepping up and helping them. Now, I have a question for you. Who's your neighbor? Is it the guy next door with the zip code and the street address that's right next door? Is that your neighbor? And you could say, well, yes, it's true. But according to Jesus' definition, who's your neighbor? Everybody is your neighbor. So whoever you run into, that's your neighbor. Do you remember the story that Jesus told when the guy who was self-righteous says, well, I'm supposed to love my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? I could just see him with kind of a snotty, snarky attitude when he said that. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. And you remember the story, don't you, of the Good Samaritan? It wasn't the good Pharisee. It wasn't the good Sadducee. It wasn't the good uh, uh, scribe. It wasn't the good holier-than-thou dude that walks around with his nose stuck up in the air looking down on everybody. It wasn't that guy. Oh, it was that, ooh, that dirty Samaritan. And you know what? The guy that was beat up and left half dead, notice he wasn't all dead, he was half dead. He was spiritually dead, but still physically alive, but close to death. It was the scribe that walks by the holy man of God. It was the, the, the Pharisee that walked by the holy man of God. They weren't holy, though. Because the word holy actually means to be good like God. They weren't. Who was? The Samaritan. And what did he do? He saw the man's need. He got off of his, his, his uh, donkey or camel or whatever, his beast of burden, and he got down on his knees and he bandaged that man up, washed his wounds, bandaged him up, 
put him on his own beast of burden, takes him to an inn. He pays for whatever else is needed for that guy. And he says, you know what? If there's anything else, is there any other expense? You let me know, I'll cover it because I'm coming back through. That's what good looks like. And that's what he's talking about here. We can see the goodness of God expressed in faithful men and women. We can see the goodness of God found in the scriptures as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, brethren, I want to encourage you to read Psalms 119, verses 1, 2, and 3. Well, you know what? Why don't we do that right now real quick? We're in Psalms. Psalms chapter 119. It's only a few pages away. Take a look at verses 1, 2, and 3. And I'll throw in verse 9 just for giggles. How's that sound? Here we go. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. They do righteousness, which is good. They walk in his ways the many ways of goodness. And then verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word of God. You want to know the ways of God? You want to know all the ways of goodness? Then turn to the scriptures and look to Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus as he works through the Apostle Paul. Look at Jesus as he works through Timothy. Timothy was a great man of God, but he was not one of those charismatic, overt kind of guys. He was an introvert. And yet he was a great man of God because he was good and he was responsive to people's needs. That's who we are to be. We are to walk in that way. You know, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Well, he's the way. Look to Jesus for his life, his words, his deeds are the standard. And then you emulate those in your life. How important that is. Does anybody have Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 memorized? Why don't you write that one down? It's not in the lesson, but that's a powerful one. Walk in the footsteps of Christ. Love as Christ loved. Now let's look at the second one. What does it actually look like? If I'm walking on the path of life, I'm walking in his ways, what does that actually look like? Well, we already looked at the Samaritan and that's a very good start. But let's take a look. In Galatians chapter five, you see, it's interesting when Jesus spoke, the church had not yet been created. People were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet here we see in the book of Galatians in chapter five, that we are to be people that are head and shoulders above those who do not have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ in us is able to empower us to walk, to live, to act exactly like Christ. Take a look. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the same scripture that Jesus quoted. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same scripture that that snarky Pharisee said, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus told him exactly who it was. But it sounds like people in the church back then were having a problem. They were being snarky with each other. Huh. Is that how it's supposed to be? Bite and devour one another? It should never be that way, brethren. Never. And it should not be that way when we're with people who are not yet Christians. You see, we were to, if we were to read on, it says, the Spirit of God will produce in us specific ways of the Lord. Take a look at verse 22. Galatians chapter 5 and, and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit will produce in your life and my life will be love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, which means helpfulness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
And then verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us walk in goodness. Let us walk in patience and in joy. And let us walk in kindness, being helpful. You know, sometimes I think we believe that being godly is something that you have to wear different clothes and have to be in a church building and have to act different. You know what? Just when somebody has a need, can I help you out? When someone's looking down, hey, is everything okay? That's It's that simple and you can start from there. Remember, it wasn't too many lessons ago where Jesus opened up the door to a whole city of Samaria by asking a woman for a drink of water. And the whole city turned out to listen to Christ for three days and then begged him to stay. And when Samaria heard the gospel, how many of you know? It went like wildfire because they were already ready to receive the Christ because they knew who he was. And they knew who he was because he was kind, not judgmental. He was caring and concerned for a woman who had made so many different mistakes in her life. How about you, Christian? When you meet someone who's made mistakes in their life or maybe are in in the very act of making mistakes in your life, like the woman drug in in front of Jesus who was caught in the very act of adultery. Do you look down your nose? Or Christian, do you in concern realize that there's been choices made and something led to that choice and that choice is destroying that human being and destroying other human beings? Do you step into the life and you go, whoa, 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 they made the mess. I don't want to get that on me. That's not walking in the path of Christ. Walking in the path of Christ is to step into their life. Know where they are at. Help them out of the mess. Don't tell them they're messed up. They already know it. You don't need to tell people that. You need to come alongside and deeply care for them as individuals and be good and kind and gentle and merciful and humble and patient. Those are all the ways of the Lord. Amen? Can you be patient with someone? Well, it kind of depends on who it is. Well, you know what? Jesus is patient with you. And he's patient with me. And I'll take the greater... Because, man, I still, after all these years, still struggling with some stuff. Man, I'm glad he's patient. I'm so thankful. But we are to be that for each other. I didn't put it in the book, but make sure that you get Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 written down. And if you can memorize that, and if you can live that, done. Serious. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. You get that one memorized, you live it in your life, and people are going to see Jesus in you. Just that passage. Amazing passage of Scripture. Write it down, memorize it, embrace it, live it, and people will see Christ in you. Let me say that again. Because someone aren't writing it down. This is a beautiful passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. I'm so thankful for that passage of Scripture. It's changed my life. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Just a couple pages further into the, the good book. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to what is said here in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that so that you will walk in a manner worthy. Notice, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord depends on your knowing the word of God. You know how God teaches you? When it says Psalms chapter 16 and verse 11, make me know thy ways, O Lord. Remember that, make me know, remember from last week, make me know is not like the Lord grabs you by your little neck and goes, rub the word of God in his face. Ah, ah, ah. That's not how God does it. Make me know, maybe make me know the, the your path, oh Lord. Is That scripture actually says, show me how it's done. And then in the book of Psalms in 25 and verse 4 and 5, there's an eagerness on our part to know what it looks like. And it's amazing when you have that desire, that eagerness to know 
the ways of the Lord and you look in the scriptures and you find the scriptures and then you live them. That's why I'm so excited about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. It's like, wow, a gold mine. I found a gold mine. Now I just need to live it every moment with every person and people will see Christ in me. But look at this Colossians. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. I wonder if that good fruit is the same as the fruit in Galatians. Duh, it is. Specifics. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Lord. How many of you know that we're supposed to have an attitude of gratitude all the time for everything? How many know that? Attitude of gratitude all the time for everything. Can I see a, you don't raise your hands. I'll raise my hand for you. I need to work on that one. <laughs> you don't need to raise your hands, brethren. Don't, oh, don't raise your hands in the audience. We know. See, but that's a part of, of, of the Lord's character. We see it in the Apostle Paul. In several places. Do you remember when Paul walked into the city of Athens and he saw all those idols? Man, he was just stewing inside. Man, these guys are... But what did that that fire, that zeal, that passion in him actually boil up into? Screaming and yelling and cursing and swearing and telling people how foolish they were? No, remember what he said? I I just am rejoicing when I come into your city. I see you are a godly people. I mean, I see uh, statues to all your gods, but I found this one statue in particular that I really liked. It was a statue to the unknown God, and I want to tell you about him. All that er boiled up into this. I'm so thankful that you are religious. You are so spiritual. Were they spiritual? The answer is yes. Did they have the right God? No, but they were very spiritual. Paul's rejoicing that they're spiritual. Do you see how Paul did that? That's such a Jesus move. That's such a Jesus way. See, when we look at the scriptures, we need to see the ways of Jesus acted out before our very eyes. I'm not going to ask you how many like a good movie, because I know many of us do. And I always love good movies for one-liners. I'm always listening for the one-liner, the one scene that's like, oh, that is the scene. Right? And, and, and when you've seen a movie before, you go, oh, oh, shh, shh, shh. This one, okay, listen to this. It's coming up. Am I the only one that does that? Uh, oh, good, okay. I see a couple that are nodding. I'm not the only one. Man, I feel a little embarrassed. I get embarrassed quite a bit. But when we get to the scriptures and we're looking at oh, wait, Wait till you get to Acts 16. I love Acts 16. Wait till you see what, what Paul is in the, in the dungeon. It's just amazing. It's so, can't wait. They should make a movie out of it. That movie has been played in my head over and over and over and over and over again. Great joy. Thanksgiving. The way of God. Finally, Philippians chapter 4. I've been kind of hooping it up for the Apostle Paul. Let's just look at the page right before Colossians 1. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. You know, the apostle Paul is an amazing man. He devoted himself fully to following the Lord Jesus. You know what he said? He said, you be imitators of me as I am of Christ Jesus. How many of you could say that? Hey, just look at me, man. Follow me and you'll get to heaven. You'd be going, man, you're an arrogant dude. Paul was a very humble man much like Moses was the most humble of all men of his time. Paul was a humble man. Some people don't think he was. We need to understand the correct definition of humble. He was a humble man. And so when Paul says, follow me, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ Jesus, he's actually saying, I'm following the humblest man as I humbly follow the humblest man. So I'm humbly following the humblest man, Jesus Christ. Obviously, he's humble. Look what he says here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and of anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. Look at verse nine. The, the, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The things you heard, the things you've seen. When you hear Jesus, you hear truth. When you see Jesus, you see truth. If you were to embrace those as your own, the faith of Christ, embrace those as your own from the word of God. Because if you're a Christian, they are yours in full measure because his spirit, the fullness of deity dwells within you, the Bible says. You have those character qualities in you. You can walk in those ways and then you will be walking on the path of life. Now, point number three is why is that important? You want to know why that's important? I know some might be thinking and it's the obvious thought. Well, if I don't walk on the path of life, well, then I'm not going to make it to heaven. That's an absolute true statement. I don't think I need a scripture for that one. But there's a, I believe there's a more important reason. There's a more important reason to walk on the path of life. And I'll tell you who it is. You can answer it by answering this question. When Jesus came into this world, did he make you more important than himself? Or himself more important than you? What's the answer to that one? When Jesus came into the world, who did he make more important, himself or you? What's the answer? Jesus made us more important than himself. And so we he walked the very fine line of, of God's word perfectly, amen? So that he can lay his life down as a perfect sacrifice for our lives that were not perfect. He walked the ways of the Lord as he saw them in the scriptures. And he did not do them for himself. He did not walk in the ways of the Lord for himself. He walked in the ways of the Lord for others. And he was, of course, raised up and seated with his father because he did so. But he secured our place in heaven. Therefore, if we're going to follow Jesus, why would we want to walk on the paths or the ways of the Lord, the path of life? Why? So other people will become Christians. Let's take a look in uh, uh, point number three. Why is it so important to walk in the path of the Lord? Because the eternal life that's being offered to all, if we will. Look at that first scripture. Turn with me. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. I remember several years ago, uh, and I, I'm sure you do too. He did such a great job. When Brian Bragg was just a, a squeaky brand new Christian, uh, he was still drawing himself off from the water. It was pretty funny. And I asked him, hey, would you be willing to, to study this passage of scripture and uh, do a, an adult, uh, the adult Bible class? I don't remember him doing the adult Bible class on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. I do. It was phenomenal. He's got a way of getting under your eyeballs and into your head. And so take a look. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. This is for us so that we might live and walk in the ways of the Lord and the path of life for others. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, first of all, we need to walk on the path so that we'll abstain from fleshly lusts. Because if you go try to tell somebody about the Lord, and you're walking on the path of death, and you're in in engaging in the fleshly lust, people are going to look at you like, oh, really, you're telling me I got to go to church and you're having this big issue in your life with every sin under the sun and we all know it? Really? That's called what? That's called being insincere. 
That's called being hypocritical. That's called how to destroy people's ability to receive the Christ. But notice it says, you first of all abstain so that your behavior will be excellent among the Gentiles. And they'll slander you, by the way. They'll slander you when you stand for what's right. Instead of going drinking with the boys or chasing around the girls, you stand for what's right, for what's good, what's Christ. When you do that, guess what? People know who they can go to and depend on because you're the same yesterday, you're the same today, so they're not going to ask you to go to the bars that are kind of nasty and ugly tomorrow, and they won't ever ask you because they know who you are. But when life shakes out from their life and your marriage is rock solid and you're always a man who's kind or always a woman who's gentle, virtuous, a man of integrity, they're going to come seek you out. I know that's true because it's happened in my life many, many, many times. And I know it's happened in the lives of many of you as well. People are looking for security, especially now in this crazy time in human history. You walk the path of life and you're going to draw people unto Christ. Look at this, this last statement. It says, as they observe them, as they observe your good deeds, they'll glorify God on the day of visitation. You know what that actually means? Go back when you have time. John chapter 15 and verse 8. Only Christians can glorify God. Sinners will glorify God on the day of visitation when they bow the knee and confess him as Lord, but it's too late. But we can glorify God right now in our lives and people who are not yet Christians will see truth, they'll embrace the truth and they'll become Christians and they'll glorify God as well. Now look at the next passage, Colossians 4. This is a prayer request, but boy, is it important. How many of you, how many of you are like me? And I'm not being like Paul at this moment. <laughs> how many of you say things, and as soon as you say them, as soon as they got out of your mouth, you go, oh, no. You ever do that one before? Anybody? Do that? How many of you ever typed something on the internet? Oh, you do that before? Oh, <laughs> some of you are about not, you don't have to do this. We know. It's just, you don't engage your brain, you put on the brakes. It's so important for us to recognize and understand, brethren. When we take a look at this, it's this passage is for all of us. I don't care who you are, where you're at. If you're not Jesus Christ, completely perfect in every way from before creation, you need this verse. Did I include everybody on that one? Okay, here we go. Uh, Colossians in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I'm in that group, so please don't think I'm looking down my nose. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, if you really dig into that, you know what that's actually saying? You need to be a perfect listener, a perfect observer of people, a perfect discerner of people. Now, it's interesting. God wouldn't have written it down here if it weren't possible. So every time you do a good job, you go, man, I did so well in that conversation. Whew, I'm doing great. Guess what is lurking right around the corner? the next conversation. You know what I'm saying? And, and you made good on the first one. It's the conversation around the corner that you've got to be aware of next. All the time. Be a good listener. All the time. Be intentional in your conversations and in your responses to people. Be intentional. I wonder how many people would be Christians today if all of us were more intentional in our listening and in our responding and in our follow-through. I wonder how many more people would be Christians. I think maybe more. Now, that's not condemning. That's just saying how important it is for us to be intentional. Good listeners, good observers, good responders, always showing the character of Christ. By the way, being patient and gentle and kind, just like it says, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
verse 24 through 26. Let's look at the last verse then this morning to finish up. Why is it important to walk in the path of life? Jesus tells us when he was on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and you know this passage very well, but we would be remiss if we didn't bring this passage to bear. This is King Jesus telling us who we are and what we're able to do. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, you are the light of the world, he says, but if the salt, or excuse me, verse 14, uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a peck measure or a, a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will make, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. Notice, what's that saying? People who are not Christians are going to glorify God who is in heaven when they're on earth. That means people are going to become Christians. Why is it important for you to walk on the path of life right now? To walk in his ways right now? It's not just for your salvation. If I'm going to be like Jesus, our heart should be, more importantly, it's for the salvation of those around me the salvation of my kids, the salvation of the people I work with, the salvation of the gas attendant down at the Shell Station off of Prairie Road in Irving. That's really what it should be about. Brethren, let's close with this. As we take a look, there are three things here that we've looked at. Do you know what the path of life is in conclusion? You're saying, well, I'm still not sure. That's okay. That's a, that's a sincere answer. Should you know what it is? I would hope. Go seek it out. And the second question is like the first. What does it look like when I walk on the, the path of life, sp- the specific ways of the Lord? What does that look like? By the way, brethren, if you have not done an exhaustive study in the fruit of the Spirit, or an exhaustive study on the things and from Galatians 3, verse 12 to 17, the character qualities you're supposed to put on. If you haven't done an exhaustive study of those, that's a great place to start to see what the paths or the ways of the Lord look like in your life. And finally, finally is that last one. What drives you? Who's most important to you? Who's most important in your deciding to walk on the path of life according to the ways of the Lord? Obviously yourself, but so many others. You know, if we don't walk on the path, yes, it's true, we won't make it to heaven. But the sad fact is, is that Jesus called you out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of him who did just that, that gave you eternal life. He wants you to proclaim his excellencies, both in your words, but more importantly, in your deeds, so that people can see the truth of life and life abundant. Now with that, it's my pleasure to turn the the microphone over to Jeff Drillinger, a good brother. I sure to appreciate him. He did such a great job last week. Thank God working through him. And so uh, we're going to bring Jeff up now uh, to uh, get us prepared for the Lord's Supper. Okay, Jeff, come on up. If you'll uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. You know, as I was trying to uh, um, come up with the various passages and uh, um, message this morning, uh, there's so many different scriptures uh, going off of uh, last week. um, We talked about the fear. Uh, and the power of Satan that God destroyed, um, that fear of death. Uh, and I uh, was looking at passages that talk about how we wage war and how uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Um, I looked at so many different things, uh, you know, putting on Christ and a uh, um, bunch of different things. But I had referred to Philippians chapter 2 last week, and uh, we're going to go there. Last week, I didn't actually get into describing um, 
what the definition of that fear of death, fear or death. Uh, and fear is uh, to put to flight fear, dread, terror, uh, cause of fear. And there's a lot of causes out there right now that uh, of fear. Intimidation. Um, and death is death or danger of death. And I just want to read uh, that real quick there in uh, Hebrews, just so we can, uh, if some people missed it last week, Hebrews chapter 2, because we're going to be referring to this a little bit. Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 14 down through uh, 18. It says, Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, flesh and blood. And we're going to talk about that in Philippians here in just a moment. That through death, his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We know that so many are subject to that slave. They're enslaved to that fear, fear of death. And it weighs heavy. Sometimes most folks don't recognize it. But we as Christians should not have or allow ourselves to be enslaved again. We've been set free. And it's because of Christ and what he's done. It's his death. We should not have that fear, that intimidation. There are the various causes of fear or dread or terror. For assuredly, he is not he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. You know, going through life, all the temptations, the trials, the different things. It says he's, he was tempted in all things as we, yet without sin so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation or satisfaction. He satisfied the sentence that was weighed on us. That condemnation fell on him. He satisfied the penalty that we were going to have to pay. When you talk about fear, if you start thinking about eternity, separation from God, total darkness you talk about some dread and terror that that is but he tasted that death he satisfied for the sins of the people for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted you know <clears throat> we would be lying if there aren't fears or different things that are out there I mean, there's all sorts of temptation. Just look at Jesus in the garden. You don't think that he was tempted by the fear and the dread of what he was going to have to face? Sweating drops of blood? But he was obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. He finished the course. So yes, those things do come. But it's how are we going to drive through? Philippians chapter 2. Actually, we'll start in verse uh, chapter 1 in verse 27. And now kind of switching gears, because I wanted to talk about that fear and intimidation and those causes of fears and stuff. All you have to do is look around in the world today, and we're just seeing more and more. What do you see? You see fear, but you see slander. I mean, it is tearing down. You turn the radio on, the TV on, um, anything. It's it's attacking. You know, and uh, when when there's fear, a lot of times, what happens? Have you ever seen a dog when it gets afraid? What does it do? Sometimes it doesn't necessarily want to bite, but it bites out of fear. It's like that protection. It's like, ugh. And so... What's sometimes the default mode of the old man is when we are attacked or there's pressure, we bite back. We fight back. 
We threaten. Jesus said he uttered no threats. He didn't fight back, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You know, the the world uses fear, intimidation, slander. There's hate. There's condemnation, pointing the finger. Next week, we'll probably get to Romans chapter 8. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no now, no condemnation. Jesus says, who's the one who condemns? Who's the one that points the finger? You know, if I do some background investigations, uh, and so I'm opening up and looking at people's backgrounds and stuff, and, you know, there's a lot of those who are pointing the finger and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, if somebody's looking at my background, there's all sorts of things people could say, hey, Jeff's, man, I'll tell you what, that guy's got some issues. And I probably do. You know what? But I, I hope that all those people that would know me or been around me, even those who might consider me as their enemy, would know that I'm working on things, that I am going forward. You know, okay, I make mistakes, but I get back up in the saddle, right? But the world has that way of doing things. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's only Jesus' way. And we've really got, we've got a choice to make. And we're going to see here the choice that God made. It's easy to bite and devour one another, to become bitter, to become angry. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. Are you alarmed by the opponents? Because we can bite and devour, you know, and tear down. But we see that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to save the world. What are we doing? What choice are we making? Are we following in the paths of the world where we slander and bite, where we're divided? by fear and intimidation and all these other things. Paul's saying, hey, don't be alarmed by all these things. But he wants us to be standing firm in one spirit. For you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear me to be in. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Those are all building things. And he wants us to be together. We're supposed to show the hope and the love of Christ, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, contentiousness, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude. What's the attitude of the world? It's self. Self-preservation. Fear and intimidation. You know, it's either, it's, the self hoarding and got a hunker in my bunker for the fear of death still holds them enslaved. Or it's the out and out attack, slander and tearing down. But really, what does it come back to? It comes back to self. And it's the attitude. And you have a choice each and every day. It says, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? (laughs) That's a cross to bear. And that's a choice to sacrifice yourself each and every day, each and every moment. And follow him. It's his way, his attitude. What is his attitude? The interests of others. 
us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God had a choice to make. And what controlled his choice was love. But he chose to do something. He chose to give. And he gave his precious son. And his son had this attitude. His son had the attitude of the interests of us. What was our interest? Our lo- we, want, we want eternal life. Everybody wants eternal life. And he knew that we could not have that without him. And that's what blows me away. It's one thing to go and uh, die for somebody, but to actually be in such a place that you don't have to go. You don't have to do those things. You're in a good place. He's in glory with his father. And this is what he did. This is what he chose. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or utilized or asserted. Having the power of God, having the ability not to be tempted, because the scriptures teach that God is not tempted. But it says that Jesus was tempted in all things. So how can that be? It's because he did not utilize or assert that authority that he had. He gave that up. He chose that, that attitude, that selfless attitude for you to leave that, to leave that authority, to leave that comfort. And emptied himself or laid aside his privileges, the privileges of not being tempted, the privileges of not living and taking on this form, as it says, both in Hebrews and here. Taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Fear of death? Jesus tasted death, as it says, for you and I. He became obedient to that point all the way through the garden when the Satan was there just, ah, You don't want to go through for these people. That's the attitude. And that's the attitude he wants us to have. But it's a choice each and every day. And that's why we're coming to fix our eyes on Jesus and the way that he has given us to choose. And is it love that controls us to make those choices just as God so loved the world? And Bill talked about today, you know, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The desire of the flesh is to bite and devour, to slander, to tear down. But the Spirit is to love and to build up. But what does that look like in your life with those around you? How do you take up your cross? How do you do those things? The responsibility is on you to be thinking about that. You have to see and put into practice Paul says, hey, practice the things you've seen in me and the peace of God. Peace of God is different than the peace of the world. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be all that stuff coming at you. But there's true peace. You don't have that fear of death that the Satan is enslaved. No. The slate is clean. There's no condemnation. It's like, hey, go and keep trying. (laughs) Okay, so you mess up today. You got tomorrow, Lord willing. You have that choice. To humble yourself. For this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee would bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then my beloved just as you have always obeyed. Not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence. Finish or accomplish your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That fear and that trembling, that's a little different thing. Remember, it's like the Hebrews, the flip side of the coin last week was, hey, his voice says you can. It's like, hey, they weren't able to enter the rest. Those people uh, in the Old Testament, here's the promised land. 
Why? Because it was unbelief. They didn't listen to God that, hey, God says you can do this. Go and take it. It's yours. Do you believe that you can have the attitude of Christ? This right here is the attitude of Christ. Obedient to the point of death. And what was his interest was on others. Each and every day, think about those that are around you. Those that may make you mad and angry. Even brothers and sisters. But what is the response of Christ? The gentle answer breaks the bone. No unwholesome word. Only words that are good for edification. Even to those who are your enemies, he says, pray for them. Love your enemies. Wow, that's the interest of others. That's the attitude of Christ. That's his way. You want to overcome evil? You overcome it with good by doing and walking the way of Christ, the attitude of Christ. Don't let the fear, the intimidation, all the different things of the world, that's the world's way. And you have a choice each and every day to take up your cross and to choose to have the attitude of Christ. That's how we overcome. That's how we can be victorious. Christ says you can. His spirit indwells you. Look to him as we come around the table today and see that he's obedient to the point of death. That interest of others put him all the way to satisfy the penalty that we once had and now is no more. We are freed to walk in his paths. So let's think about those things this morning. Not sure if everyone was here last week, but uh, so when we come around, Logan and I will actually just hold your hand out and we'll drop bread in your hand and then we'll hand you the cup and then I'll bring the garbage around for the cup later. So, Father God in heaven, we, we thank you and I praise you for your word and to be able to see uh, what Christ has done, what you have done, the attitude um, that you've had, the love you have that you and your son chose. And uh, looking out for our interests, Father, and I pray that uh, we would uh, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, that we would be faithful, having the attitude of Christ, walking in a manner worthy of you, following in his footsteps, being obedient children. I pray that we would, uh, as Christ would give, would build, and uh, and not be uh, taking the, the way of the world, Father, uh, tearing down and fear and slander and all those other things, Father, but that we would choose the path of life, Father, that Christ has laid for us. Thank you for what you have done, and we pray that our minds would be on these things and pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, Lord, Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, we thank you for this day, day of remembrance, Lord. We've learned this morning to walk by the path of Christ, Lord, path of life, and Lord, we recognize that um, the hope of true true life was through your son's sacrifice that, um, that he was willing to sacrifice his life for us that we may have that hope. Lord, we thank you so much for that. And pray that we recognize that. Remember, thank you for this uh, symbol of your son's blood and flesh. Ask you bless our bodies. Never forget, Lord, and we pray in your son's name. All right, well, it's been great this morning. I'm thankful everybody coming out today. And hey, Bragg boys, if you want to come up and help me get all excited, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. I know your dad's not here, but we'll uh, we'll sing it out really good. And uh, also, do remember Wednesday night uh, at the Compton Homestead, uh, God and Government, uh, a biblical, historical, and a constitutional perspective of restoring our great republic. We'll be there at 7 o'clock. Hope you'll make it. Thank you very much. Here we go. 
Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.